The Idaho Street Workshop is proud to present Changes, a six-episode limited series. Episode six, Summertime. Featuring the voices of Anna Clark, Brian Taylor, and myself, John Wenzel. For more information about the series, please visit idahostreetworkshop.com. Dear listener, is a world with time travel a world where our fate is predetermined? Can we revisit our past and change it? Not in what happened, but how it affects us? Summertime. It's summertime. 2020. 2020. I'm not at the beach, nor drinking with my friends when a woman looks over at me through the smoke of the fire, smiles. We don't have hushed conversation or go off swimming. She's not drunk. She isn't eaten by a shark. You wake up. You realize you were dreaming. You were dreaming about Jaws. Again. You heard a bird outside. Is it a robin or a cardinal? Your plan for today is a simple one. To blow the whistle from the top of the sand dune, to call out to the world that there's a shark in the water, but I'm in a finished basement of a 800 square feet single family home, driveway with a one car garage in Omaha, Nebraska. There's no beach, no sand dunes. This weekend, the heat outside is growing. It's gonna be 100 degrees. It's gonna be a cloudless sky. I don't know if I wanna stand in the heat and call stop. If they don't go to the beach here, they will go to the next beach. If you don't do something, they will do something else. You don't think you understand economics outside of the let's keep the beach open logic in Jaws. Is Jaws a metaphor for the oil embargo? For Watergate? The atomic bomb? COVID-19? Can a movie be a metaphor for something that happens 45 years after it premieres? Maybe Steven Spielberg in a form of premonition. I think there was a time I thought the summer of 2003 was my enmity, the small picturesque beach town in Spielberg's Jaws. But the music never started, the kid was never taken under the water, the blood didn't coat the sea foam. Not at, at least not in the same way. Why am I thinking about this today? You all know me, how I earn a living. This shark will swallow you whole. You gotta make up your minds. You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna. Robert Shaw was right. No matter the heat, I should go to the protest. I need to make it down to 72nd and Dodge before it gets too late. I need to make some breakfast. I need to make a sign. I need to stand in the heat. I need to stop the pier from being pulled into the open water. You're not going to stand here and see the Kittner boy spill out all over the dock. You knew there was a shark out there, but you let people go swimming. Is there anything to do about it? The boy is dead, but is there any way to find a way outside? Maybe Jaws is an analog for police violence. The community has trouble stopping it. The mayor wants to keep everything the same, so business interests will be happy. The shark sure doesn't listen to the people in the water trying to live their lives. 2003. 
Do you want to return there? I was living in Chicago. It was a hot summer. It signaled the beginning of a cycle. I was employed at that point at the hotel, a manager in title but not in spirit. It was all fairly easy and left lots of time to float through the city. Regina and I had moved out of the house in Bucktown. It wasn't the same after Remy left. That was in January of 2002. It was hard to talk to Remy when she went to basic training. And then she was a specialist, and it was even harder to talk to her there. But I digress. The summer of 2003, that was an epic summer. I was finally making a bit of money, so we went out a lot. Let's go to 2003, the evening of March 20th. A different perspective. It was my first day of work at the Tribune. I kept thinking about what they told us in journalism school. To be an observer. To stand with the group and not in the group. I think sending me to the protest was a form of hazing. I was on the metro desk. Even so, sending me out in the field on my first day didn't really seem normal. Before we were surrounded, before the arrest started, we gathered at Daly Plaza. I was standing near the Picasso statue. I didn't have any contacts, so I was planning to just observe what was going on, take a few notes, record the speeches on my mini-disc. Everything seemed normal. I had covered a few war protests in Madison with the journal, but this was much bigger. We were scheduled to march down Randolph, but instead, there was a moment when the crowd just took a turn onto Columbus. No one I was around knew what was going on. We just kept walking. We ended up on Lakeshore Drive. It was wild. This fever lasted for hours. It wasn't until I realized that the police had started to kettle protesters that I knew the night had turned. It was only my press credentials that kept me from getting arrested. They had stopped around 150 people from leaving. They were slowly closing in the circle, treating the protesters as if they had clubs in their hands instead of signs. I remember the next week, going back, this time off the clock, seeing a skinny state senator speaking up against a country he would eventually lead, against a war that would expand, a country that would shoot, bomb, kill, and murder. Now, back to summer. Omaha, 2020. Throughout the early stages of the protests in Omaha, the cops kept calling the marches illegal. This led to pepper spray and pepper balls and numerous forms of aggressive policing. Very numerous and very aggressive. As the summer set in, as the heat set in, as the presidential campaign set in, the policing tactics changed. But today, the heat is what will be the biggest hurdle. The heat reminds me of a camping trip I took beginning of June in 2018. Seems like such a long time ago. Time slips. I admit that happens a lot. There are three primary time frames to this story. In reverse chronological order, they are the relative present, followed by the nostalgic epoch, and finally, the fictionalized presidential past. There are specific antecedents that intersect with these time frames. For instance, the Iraq War, as well as World War II, and moments similar to episode four that exist outside time and space. Now then, you can continue. 
June 16th, 2018, I went hiking in Chaco Canyon, New Mexico. It was a hot day. It was a hot, dry day. The car temperature said it was 104. The rented Jeep Cherokee had awful air conditioning. Jerome, you should have asked for the RAV4. Outside, the air was calm. Not much wind. Chaco is geologic. Rocks, layer after layer. Time looking back at you in physical form. Millions of years to form sea creatures. Then, snap. Millions of them die. And millions of years to make rock. I wore the wrong shoes that day. The sand was seeping through the mesh, gathered in my toes as I walked. I'm, I'm, on this day, I, I wasn't trying to think much about the future, about the heat, about the dryness, about how this might be the future of the Midwest, this desert. My mind was on LeBron James and whether or not he'd sign with the Cavs or the Lakers. I can't ma imagine him signing with the Sixers. I wish he would have, I really wish he would have considered the Jazz. King James, Spider, Rudy Gobert, that would have been so epic. You could also mention Joe Engels, the math teacher-shaped sharpshooter. But you were trying to follow along with the trail guide, not think about the NBA. It was in between the draft and free agency. You were in the middle of the national park with no cell service. It's free agency 2018. LeBron James is expected to announce what team he will sign with and you are walking in the desert. I played basketball a lot when I was a kid. I was never very good, but it was fun. The second time I saw Nick was at a sports bar near Halstead and Jackson. He was just sitting there drinking a beer or watching basketball. We started meeting up on Thursdays to watch and drink beer. It was good to have someone to watch the game with. Nick, he was a big Knicks fan and I had been a Jazz fan growing up. Neither of us really wanted to admit those facts in Chicago. Both of the teams were villains of the Jordan Bulls. Some, some sports memories just don't die. Then we would just run into each other. He started dating Tess and all of us, we, were, we just had a group. People to see, things to do. I ran into Tess at the Gold Star about 10 years ago. She was visiting from New York. She was still roommates with Regina. We started talking about 03, about Nick. She didn't, she didn't remember exactly when they started dating, but, but she did remember the first time Nick cooked breakfast for her. It was March 1st. He woke up early and made the most delicate scrambled eggs. She remembered Nick going on and on about how to cook them. Constant movement, low heat, stopping just before they're done. I've tried not to see this as a description, as an MO of the way according to Nick, but, you know. Tess, ha Tess has refused to do a recorded interview. She and I have kept in contact through the years, much better than the rest of the gang. At first, we talked about Nick, and then Remy, and then and Regina, of course. Now, we're just friends. We just talk. I really wanted to get her on tape talking about the times we had, about what happened that summer, but she said she's moved on. 
and she thinks that I should too. Tess lives in upstate New York. She has two kids, a husband, a garden. She's happy. So I respect her choice not to participate. I asked her if I could tell the story about Nick and about cooking eggs. She said it would be fine. Nick liked cooking eggs. Nick, he was a good cook. He would go on and on about simple meals, or the importance of finding the best, cheapest whiskey at each bar he went to, about the virtues of a good amber beer. My wit seems to have run out. Only energy is left. That's almost gone. I admit, I feel faint. Can I tell you a secret? Since I left Chicago I, and I spent these months in Omaha, in this basement, they, they haven't been my best. I was hoping that coming home, back to Nebraska, that it, it would feel, that it would, that it would fill my sails with a new breeze of creativity, that my hands would become enhanced with new spirits and release me from the spell I've been in. And and that it would end this despair. Maybe I need to admit that Nick was a drunk and that I wish he was still alive. I've likely thought about him more since he died than I spent with him when he was alive. Is that possible? And Remy, my twin, my sister. No big movie metaphors. No need to think about the scale that humans are affecting the climate, or time travel, or pandemics, or war. Let's start again. Let's start with two eggs. The fresher, the better. Crack them slightly on the side of a bowl. Make sure you remove any bits of shell. With a fork, whisk the eggs initially, just to break the yolk. Then add a splash of milk and season with pepper. Only pepper at this point. The salt will come later. Next, mix them together until they're smooth and consistent. This, is, this always takes longer than you expect. But heat up the pan while you do this. Medium to low heat. Melt a little bit of butter. Remember, the more butter you put in, the better it tastes. Pour in the eggs. The next step is the most important. While the eggs are cooking, stir them with a wooden spoon. The motion should be constant, smooth. Now, now the eggs will start looking like scrambled eggs. Take them out of the pan just before they're done. Not too runny, not too firm. Their internal heat will continue to cook them on the plate. And it's only then, when they're on the plate that you should salt them. Just a touch.
Thank you for joining us for the first season of the Idaho Street Workshop. The workshop is written, composed, and produced by me, John Wenzel, with the additional voice talents of Brian Taylor and Anna Clark. For more information about the program, please visit the website, idahostreetworkshop.com. Until next time, from San Diego to your ears, thank you for listening. <laughs>